Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online today. We have been working our way through the book of Acts this summer, learning about the kingdom mission that Jesus gave us that's made possible by the Holy Spirit. And if you'd like to borrow a Bible this morning to follow along with where we are in Acts 10, the ushers will be walking up and down the aisles in a moment. Please just raise your hand and they will get a Bible to you to borrow this morning. Since Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the disciples, we have been watching this mission unfold, and Peter and John bringing thousands of people to Jesus, and the witness of the martyr Stephen, and Philip baptizing the Ethiopian official, and Jesus changing Saul from a persecutor of Christians to a passionate Christian witness, and all of those are really dramatic life and death kind of stories, which can be really exciting to us or really scary to us, but can sometimes actually be a little bit hard for us to relate to. And we get called off to mission trips or we head off to Haiti, then it's a little easier to see how the Holy Spirit is sending us out. But other times we might wonder, if our call is to go out and connect people to Jesus, how does gathering here with each other fit into the mission? Is this just a rest stop in the midst of more important things, or does gathering as God's people actually matter? How does being the church gathered fit in with our mission to go into the world? Well, our stories today actually shed some light on that question in a couple of different ways. You see, in the book of Acts, these early Christians are learning how to fly this mission of Jesus, and they're learning that it's not just about something that we're supposed to accomplish, something we're supposed to do for Jesus, but it's about live, learning to live in a whole different way of being, of doing life together with Jesus moment by moment, that we're called to live ourselves into this new kind of life that we want to invite others to know in Jesus. And if you look at all of the text of Acts, not just the pieces we're pulling out, you're going to see time and time again that for those early disciples, their times of going and their times of gathering were about equal. Because as passionate as those early disciples were about their mission, they clearly knew they needed each other to help them walk this new way of being. And in their gathering and listening to the Lord, they also realized that they were all being called into different ways of going into the world. Jesus launched us into being citizens of a new kind of kingdom. And since it's so unlike the way that the world works, all through the book of Acts, we see the disciples reeling as they try to adapt to what it means to follow Jesus in it. They're riding the wave of a new move of God. And it's exciting, but it's not always easy. So where do these ministries of going and gathering come together? We see that unfolding today in the story of Peter. So just to remind you, Peter was a fisherman. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And he was there after Jesus' resurrection when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them at the Pentecost in Acts 2. And then after that, the Holy Spirit largely used Peter to introduce people to Jesus, both through preaching and through miracles. And now today, in Acts chapter 9, we see Peter respond to the Holy Spirit's call to go to the seaside town of Joppa. And there he raises to life a faithful Jewish Christian woman from the dead. And we know that she was a Christian because Luke, the author of Acts, actually calls her a disciple. 
in chapter 9, verse 36, the same, exact same word used for the other disciples of Jesus, which in itself is noteworthy. It's a sign that things are changing. And this disciple's name is Tabitha, or Dorcas, whether you use her Hebrew or her Greek name. And she was known by many people in Joppa because, the text tells us, she was always doing good and helping the poor, especially the widows in the area. And the Lord, raising her back to life, made a powerful emotional and spiritual impact on the whole community. Now, there were a lot of people who died in those days that the Holy Spirit didn't raise back to life, including martyrs like Stephen and James. So why Tabitha? God's miracles, when we see them, are not just about mercy. They always bring a message with them as well. So what do you think the Holy Spirit was saying with this one? Well, I'm willing to bet if Tabitha hadn't been raised to life, nobody outside of that community would have ever heard of her. But because the Holy Spirit gave Peter this kingdom assignment, the story of Tabitha's ministry is forever recorded in the pages of Scripture, offering us a very different example of how a person could live out her discipleship to Jesus and change people's lives in Jesus' love. Tabitha's story gives us a window into what was happening in other news as a part of this same mission. Because Tabitha's going was in gathering people who had a common need, and then in her love, living her witness of Jesus' love for them in very practical ways. And all through the book of Acts, Luke throws out comments about the times after the apostles leave an area. And Luke says, and the gospel continued to spread, and many came to the Lord. And I've often wondered, how? <laughs> the evangelists were gone, it wasn't them. And obviously, Jesus' love had taken root in the people, but how did they live their witness as a part of their daily lives in their communities? Well, thanks to this miracle with Tabitha, we have at least one story of how the gospel hit the ground. And from how it sounds, this disciple was making a significant kingdom impact in her community. Now, the story of Tabitha is a small one in the whole scope of the book of Acts. But I believe the Holy Spirit worked the spiritual matchmaking of the authority of Peter as one of the twelve to this behind-the-scenes ministry of Tabitha to lift her up so that we would see the value of daily ministries of love like this one that are often left unseen, where the seeds of the kingdom are taking root in people's hearts. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed that grows from small beginnings into something big. Never underestimate the power of small gestures of Jesus' love. And I wanted to lift up the story of Tabitha today because I believe the Holy Spirit raised her because He wanted us to notice it, to show us that this too is an example of being a disciple so that we'd realize there was more than one layer to how the Holy Spirit was expanding the mission through discipleship in the church, even back then, and that the same is true today. Sometimes it can be easy for us to forget that being Jesus' people right where we are every single day is our first witness. And probably when everything's said and done, it will be our most impactful one. Our quiet, consistent acts of love speak louder than anything else to people around us. And I think that's especially true in our culture today. To quote theologian Richard Rohr, 
The world no longer trusts Christians who love Jesus but do not seem to love anything else. Ouch. Do the people around you see Jesus' love for them in you the way that people saw it in Tabitha? Or do they see more love in people who don't claim to love Jesus at all? It's an important question for us to ask. Because as much as I'd like to say it, the truth is Christians don't actually have the corner on the market of being good people. We're broken people like anybody else. We are just blessed to know the one who loves and forgives and restores us in grace when we fall. But people will rarely look to find Jesus' love for them unless we show it to them first. And unfortunately, sometimes in our modern world, love is not the first impression that people get of Christians. And the reasons for that, I think, actually connect to a shift in the understanding of Jesus' mission in Acts 10 that is so huge that unfortunately, even 2,000 years later, we're still struggling to grasp what it means for how we as Christians should be connecting with the world in the Jesus way. The struggle actually comes out of our Jewish roots, I think, because for centuries, God's people defined themselves by who they didn't associate with. We don't eat unclean foods. We don't work on the Sabbath. We gather with each other in table fellowship to practice being God's people, and we set ourselves apart to belong to Yahweh. And all of those things were done for very good reasons. Those practices were given to them to keep them healthy in body and mind and spirit and community and to knit them together, to keep them strong in relationship with God and with each other as a people for thousands of years. And it worked very well, amazingly well. When you compare the Jewish culture to every other culture on the planet, especially ancient ones, they are very much intact. It worked very well. The only problem was God's original call to Abraham was that his people would know him so that they would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, so that through them the world would come to know who God is, to be spiritual matchmakers for the world. But instead, somehow, I believe through human brokenness and time, what got formed instead was a definition of holiness that when lived out actually got translated, if I want to stay holy, I need to stay far away from you. <laughs> Categories were reinforced, the clean and the unclean, the chosen by God and the Gentile, the unchosen, until it became hard for people to even imagine that God wanted to be connected to those outside the fold. And even the Messiah they were waiting for, they felt would only be for the chosen people. But then Jesus came, God's holy Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises and intentions, and he proceeded to blow all those divisions apart. And through the cross, he laid down his life to invite every human being to know that they can consider themselves chosen by him through the price of his blood shed for all. And Jesus sent his disciples to go to all the world, to go in order to gather all into a new kind of family in Jesus alone by taking up the original calling to be spiritual matchmakers, to introduce isolated people to the God who loves them, who's always loved them, 
So much so that he came to meet us right where we are in Jesus and give us a new beginning in relationship with him through grace. Now, the disciples knew Jesus came to be Messiah and Savior, but old prejudices die hard. And we see today in our story in Acts that Jesus is still teaching them just how far his saving grace extends. And this story starts with a very, very good man named Cornelius, who was not a Christian or even a Jew. And if you'd like to follow along with the story, it's found in Acts 10, starting on page 1609 in the Quest Bible. As far as we know, Cornelius had never even heard of Jesus. But there were a couple of things we do know about Cornelius. Number one, he was very good at his job because Caesarea was an important post. No second-rate commanders ever got stationed there. And second, Cornelius was well-respected by both Jews and Romans in his community, which only happens through demonstrated integrity. The text tells us he was devout, generous, God-fearing, and prayerful. So we know that Cornelius really wanted to know God truly. He wanted to live a good life in the eyes of God and his fellow man. And it seems to me in this text, the Lord was pleased with him. He had great affection for this Gentile man who was so earnestly seeking to love God and love people. So let's stop there for a moment. What does that tell you about your God? How he feels about people around you right now. Think about your neighbor who doesn't claim to be a Christian, never really even considered Jesus, but who really wants to be spiritual, who believes there's some kind of good force out there. They want to live a good life. They want to be good to people. Think about how God was listening to Cornelius' prayers, even though they probably weren't intentionally directed to him by name. How do you think God feels about the heart of your neighbor? Do you know any Corneliuses? Our God loves people, and he has a deep affection for all who are seeking him, even if they don't know it's him they're looking for. But lest you think I'm saying, thus everyone's fine right where they are, notice this story isn't over yet. If all God cared about was for us to be good people, we would never have heard this story of Cornelius. There'd be no need. He was already in himself a pretty good person. But God's intention for our lives isn't just for us to be good people. It's for us to be his people, to live in relationship with him and with each other forever. And for that, we need to be connected to his life. And the truth is, it's because God loved Cornelius, out of his desire for authentic, eternal relationship with him, the Holy Spirit called Cornelius out of isolation as one man searching for God and drew him into a community who could walk alongside him and show him the heart of God for him in Jesus Christ. Because Cornelius could not know God truly until he came to see him as he is, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior. So in love, God called him into the church. Now, this is an important point for us not to miss. God doesn't just want you to be good. He wants you to know him and to grow into being his people together. And if you really think about this, this is kind of a no-brainer <laughs> that our God would call us into community because our God is community. Our triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love, and love only happens in the context of relationship. We are made to be gathered into that relationship of his eternal love. 
A friend of mine pointed out to me just last week something that I'd never really consciously noticed before. In Genesis, the very first not good of creation was not the result of any sin. God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. The land and the sea, and it was good. The sun and the moon, and it was good. The animals, and it was good. The first man, and it was good. And then, screech, here's the first not good. It is not good for the man to be alone, says the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whose very being is community. Everything in the world was good. Man himself was good. And yet God pauses to point out there is a not good here. There is an absence that shows creation isn't yet whole. And the not good void would stand until the creation of woman, when human isolation became human community. What does that tell us? It's a very dramatic way for God to point out to us that human isolation does not reflect God's good intention for us. The very first not good in creation, the first problem to be solved didn't come from sin, but from loneliness. Think about that for a moment. It's a pretty profound point. That what God wants for you isn't just for you to be good. Creation was already good at that point. It's for you to be connected in relationship with Him and with others in community. Now, why would God, from the very first story of creation, show that to us? Because it's always our temptation to try to do it alone. I'm good, you're good, why do we need each other? I believe in God, why do I need the church? But just like God gave us hunger because we need food, God gave us the longing for community because our souls need each other to be able to understand the God of relationship who invites us into his eternal life. One person of faith alone may be good, but their being isolated is not good. The good intention of God is that we live our faith together. We need each other to live into this mission. And Jesus is actually the one who taught us that. One day when Jesus was with his disciples, someone told him in Mark 3, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus makes us family. And for our faith to grow, we need both the gather and the go. We need spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers to encourage us to live who we're created to be in our mission. And Jesus saying family is defined by shared mission, not bloodlines, would have been pretty shocking to the crowd. Bloodlines were very important back then. But at least those crowds could assume the real connection Jesus was talking about was their shared Jewish roots. But they ain't seen nothing yet because in our story today, Jesus is making family out of Jews and Gentiles, the clean and the unclean together. And Peter, even Peter, who was used to Jesus doing shocking things, has a hard time wrapping his mind around this one. Because Jesus was redefining what it is that we gather around and who it is that he's gathering for this family. And that made the mission look completely different than expected. 
What God wanted for Cornelius was for him to be part of Jesus' eternal kingdom, eternal family. So with spiritual matchmaking, he brought together these two parts of his family, those growing up with Jewish roots who knew what Jesus had done for the world and those being drawn from all over the world by God's love to become one family under Jesus' lordship. And this is how he does it. In Acts 10, Cornelius is praying And suddenly an angel shows up and scares him to death and tells him, God is pleased with you, Cornelius, so he wants you to do something. Go and send for this guy named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, and he'll teach you what you need to know. So Cornelius does. He sends the soldiers off to ask Peter to come to his house in Caesarea. And in the meantime, God is working to prepare Peter for this. Okay, Peter, Something's about to happen that is going to blow your mind. So when people come asking for you, don't be afraid to go with them and be ready for something as crazy and unthinkable to you as eating unclean foods. And then God gives Peter this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven that's full of animals that by the purity laws he is not supposed to eat. Not kosher, not set apart. And he tells Peter, now Because of Jesus, what had been unclean has now been made clean by Jesus' cleansing work. Now they are all welcome at the table. And that's so mind-blowing that Peter doesn't know how to take it. So the Holy Spirit puts the vision on repeat. Yep, you heard me right. That is what I'm saying. One more time. The unclean are being made clean. Three times he shows Peter this right up until the moment the knock comes at the door and the soldiers, scary, are there to invite him into the home to the table of a Gentile, the unclean. And Peter knows it's against purity laws for him to even enter the house of the unclean, much less share table fellowship, but God said go. So he goes. And then Cornelius, who's waiting to hear what God wants him to know, hears that Peter tells him how Jesus came to die for his sin so that in rising to new life, Cornelius can be adopted into the eternal family, saved not by his goodness or by right history, but only by grace alone. And in hearing that good news, he believes. And the Holy Spirit flows into him in power along with his whole household to Peter's shock and amazement. And just like that, God blows the top off Peter's understanding of the scope of this mission he was sent on. And Peter's response is basically to say, wow, I didn't expect this. (laughs) I can't say I fully get it. But if God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on Gentiles like he did on us, who am I to argue with God? And he baptizes Cornelius and his family into the family of faith. And then he goes back to the council of Christian leaders in Jerusalem in Acts 11 to tell them, you are never going to believe what the Holy Spirit's doing. I guess when Jesus died and rose, he opened the door not just to save the people of Israel, but all who will seek him from any culture, from any people, like Cornelius, to make one family of us all under the lordship of Jesus. So this is a whole new mission field because everybody is invited. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women to be brother, sister, mother. And the church leaders respond in Acts 11, 8, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. All who would confess they need Jesus to be their Lord will find that he is forever because he's building a new kingdom, a new family, one heart at a time. And my favorite thing about this story is that God doesn't wait for Peter to figure this out or for Cornelius to figure this out. 
He does the spiritual matchmaking himself. Cornelius, meet Peter. Peter, you need to meet Cornelius because you both need to talk to each other to learn something you don't know yet about my mission of love. And when they do, they are both forever changed. And Jesus is still doing this because our Lord in love doesn't want us living in isolation. He wants us connected to Him and to each other so we can grow in knowing Him together as family. There is a holy purpose to our gathering, but it's not to separate ourselves away from the, God, the world that God loves. It's to help us live into being new kingdom people who live as family to each other as Jesus' love so that as we go, we know what we're gathering people into. We know the one to whom people are gathering to live our lives and to live into our calling as spiritual matchmakers to connect the isolated world to the embrace of Jesus' amazing grace. But do you know today that you need that too? that there are things your Lord wants you to know about who He is, that you need your spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers to help you see? And do you know that there are people who need you for them to see what the Lord wants them to see? Are there people the Lord is calling you to gather with to help you grow? Seek them out. Pray about that this week. But the truth is we're not just called to gather, we're also called to go. <laughs> So also pray about, what is your kingdom assignment? Who are the Corneliuses in your life who you know that God loves, who the Lord might be calling you to serve as a mentor or a spiritual matchmaker to his love? Or maybe like Tabitha, maybe your calling is to go to people by gathering them. There is purpose both in the gather and the go as we serve a God who did not choose to hold himself back from us, but chose to go into the depth of our sin and death so he could gather us into his eternal life. What are the gather and the go he's calling you to today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your love that you gathered us to yourself. And we pray, Lord, that as we embrace your mission, as we see your amazing love for all the world, that you would send us, Lord, in love, not just to go and do, but to go and to share the love, to spiritually matchmake people to your love, to connect others to your love that has always hold, held them and wants to hold them eternally. Lord, we pray that you would write that love on our hearts. Help us to be witnesses of your love in the world day to day as we constantly seek you. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.